0: copy of God's Word this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 8. As you turn there, I I wanted to just kind of tell you uh, about two races. Many of you, most of you in here know I'm I'm a runner, and the last two races that I've trained for and run were similar in nature and that they were similar in length but both unfolded quite differently the first one was the kiowa marathon in kiowa south carolina i had trained really hard for this race and was very well prepared and went out and went to run the race and uh, those of you in here who have run a marathon or are familiar with it know the term of hitting the wall about mile 19 18 i started hurting and suffering at mile 20 i officially hit the wall and it's a strange phenomenon. It's, a, it's something that until you experience it, it's hard to, hard to explain, but something you've trained for and you know you can do. All of a sudden, your body just won't do it. It just physically, you could not do it. And, and it was all I could do. I was walking and running and stopping and drinking and doing everything I could. It was a struggle just to finish. And what was going on through my mind was just finish, just finish. And so I literally went through walking and and ran my slowest miles the last six miles of the race. But as I neared the end, I picked up a little bit, and I hobbled across the finish line and finished the race. Now, fast forward to the Louisville Marathon, and the Louisville Marathon, same distance, Very similar conditions, very similar race and altitude and and up and down, ascending, and not a lot of climbing or anything. And same thing, I trained hard and had had trained well. I was pretty confident. I came in and and ran hard, and the race went well. I had one moment where I thought it was going to all fall apart, and my, my hamstrings locked up, and I stopped for a moment and gathered myself and took off again. That race was a race that I had to fight those last six miles. But the last mile and a half was my fastest miles of the entire, entire race. I finished strong, and I met my goal for what I wanted to do for that marathon. Both of these races unfolded in, in very different ways. They, they had different challenges. They, they, they looked different. They had unique challenges for me, everything from weather to nutrition. But they both held moments in which I wondered, could I finish? In, in Kiowa, it was six miles of, can I make it? Can I get there? Do I need to just stop running? In, in Louisville, at mile 23, when my hamstrings just locked up, my, everything I was thinking was I was running so well, I've just got a 5K ahead of me. Can I just make it these three miles when my hamstrings hold on? And ran to finish. There were challenges. But in both races, what was held in common is that I persevered to the end. And what enabled me to do that? What, what was it that got me there? What fueled me? Well, for me, it was the finish line. Is my eyes were fixed on the finish line. I knew where I had to get. I knew where I needed to get to. I had seen the finish line, and I wanted to get back there. And so I just, in my mind, I kept focusing on the finish line. It informed how I ran the first mile, and it informed how I ran and persevered through the last mile. Listen, the Christian life is a marathon. The Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life is a race that is long. And no matter how prepared you are, you will meet all sorts of difficulties. Discipline is required. Perseverance is a must. And the the believer must run the race marked out before him. No matter what challenges you encounter, no matter what difficulties come before us in our race that Christ has set before us, we must persevere to the end. And so what I would set before you today as we continue in our heaven series is this, is that setting our gaze upon heaven steadies our faith and helps us to persevere to the end. We're going to consider that this morning as we look at Paul's testimony from 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you're familiar with the, the letters of Paul and the New Testament, you may know that 2 Timothy is Paul's final letter. It's a, a letter in which he writes from prison. It's a letter in which death is imminent. The end is near for Paul. And as has been the case for all of his life, Paul's gaze is fixed upon eternity. It's fixed on what lies ahead. And we will see that in our passage this morning. Let's read 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 through 8 this morning. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In, in this passage, we have a picture of Paul's perseverance in faith as he, as he nears death's door and he, he looks to glory. We, we see a statement here from Paul of his faith in Christ and his declaration of a life well lived for Christ. It's really a a beautiful passage. It's it's one in which we're going to look in a moment and ask the question, what is his gaze fixed upon? What is he looking forward to in this moment? In the moment where he knows that, that death is right there, what is it that he's looking forward to, looking upward toward? We look at this passage and we see that fixing our gaze on the sure inheritance that we have in Christ strengthens us to persevere in the midst of the great trials of life that we encounter I would just point out here, if you take note, you'll see this kind of this this progression of present, past, and future in these three verses. If you look at four six, you'll see the the present circumstances that Paul is in. His life is about to end. He is about to be poured out as a drink offering, he says. But then he looks back and saying that here's where I am, and he looks back and he says, But I have I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. It's a past faithfulness to the lord that he makes observation declaration of but then in verse 8 we see paul's future hope and glory that he looks forward to that crown of righteousness that will be his on that day on that day and so what i want us to do this morning is just to just to simply walk through these three verses and look at what each verse teaches us as far as persevering to the end persevering to the end Here's the first thing is in verse 6, we see that death is simply departure. Death is simply departure. We've already noted that, that Paul's writing in his situation that's dire. He is truly at death's door. In, in verses 1 through 5, if you just back up, you see Paul charging Timothy to preach the word. He's charging him to persevere in faithful gospel ministry. And he's doing that. Why? Because his life is at its end. He's looking to Timothy and saying, listen, it is your time to fly. I can no longer run beside you. I've paced you through the race of life and I've run through it with you. I've trained with you. But in this moment, it is time for you to run on your own and run well, my dear child. Run hard, persevere, be faithful in the ministry that God has put before you verse 6, he makes that statement, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. His time is done. In Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there, but in Philippians 2, 17 and 18, Paul had made a a similar statement. But in Philippians, Paul's end was uncertain. He he was wondering, he didn't know exactly what the end would be, whether he would die or, or live, be freed. Here, it is certain when he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. It is here. Death is looming in the very near distance. And then he says, the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure has come. This is an important thing for us to think about and consider this morning as we've been been looking at heaven and, and, and the reality of what death truly is. The word that Paul uses here, departure, it was a word that was used to describe a, a ship picking up anchor so it could go on to its next destination. Or in military terms, it was, it was used to describe a, a, an army or a camp, or an army or military unit that's breaking camp, to then move on to their next assignment. It wasn't the end, it was just a moving on to the next place, the next assignment the next moment that they would move toward here paul uses it as a metaphor for death he uses it here to express an important truth that we've been reminded of time and time again over the last six weeks that death is not the end it's not the end the christian has the hope of eternal life through and in christ christian you and i need to hold on to this truth tightly we need to hold on to it, cling to it, that death is not final. It's not the end. It's merely departure to where we are going. Death is not final because Jesus rose from the grave. Death is not final because He is the bread of life. Death is not final because Jesus promises eternal life to all who believe in Him. Death is not final because Scripture tells us that every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so you think back on all the promises that you have in the Scriptures, and they find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. Death is not final, because the God who promised Jesus would return to raise the dead to life is the God who is faithful to keep His promises. We talked about last week, or a couple weeks ago, that 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death is not final. It is not as though all of your existence is done at that point. You're not annihilated. You don't just go into nirvana. To die for the Christian is to be in the presence of the Lord. And we need to understand that. We need to see and remember and hold on to that truth. The truth, that I remind you, the, the statement that Thomas Watson said, that, that death is merely the funeral of all our sorrows. That life awaits, eternal life in the presence of Christ awaits the believer. We have that to look forward to, believers. So death is merely departure. It's merely departure. The second thing we see is in verse 7. Verse 7 We see the importance of persevering to the end. Perseverance. Perseverance to the end. Paul makes three statements here. Look at at your text. He makes three statements, and they all stress a completed action. Something that is final. He says, I have, I have, I have. What has he done? What has he done? I have fought. I have finished. I have kept. These are completed action. Paul looks back and says, "I've, I've done those things. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race i have kept the faith i've done it timothy i've done it he looks back and he he sees that, that that he has not fled he didn't turn and run he didn't give up but he pressed on if anything we we see and we hear this i have fought the good fight i've finished the race i've kept the faith there's nothing in this verse that makes us think you know what the, the christian life is just easy It's it's a cakewalk. Now when we look at this verse, really the verse should tell us that, you know what, this is something that Paul looks back on and says, I did it. I didn't know if there were times I could, but I persevered. I persevered. I made it. I I fought the good fight. I I finished the race. I finished the race. There's a sense of of, godly pride and, and confidence and rejoicing in Paul here. He knows the end is near, but he knows by God's grace that he's made it to the end and he's persevered. Now, literally, when you look at this verse, and some of your translations, I think the New American Standard has it translated this way. Literally, in the the Greek, this is exactly how it would would read. The good fight I have fought. The race I have completed. The faith I have kept. Now, this is important. I say this only just to point out this, that Paul's not putting the focus on himself here. He's putting the focus on each of those three things, the good fight, the race, and the faith. The focus is on those things more than it is on Paul and what he had done. Paul is saying, listen, this is what God put before me. He put a good fight in front of me. He put a race in front of me. And he entrusted me with the faith. And I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. I've persevered. Look at these three statements. The first one he says, I've Fought the good fight. And in 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul urges Timothy to do the same. We see this as something that Paul understands, this good fight of faith that he has. In 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul says, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So he, he calls Timothy to do this. Now take note here, what good is modifying? He's not, good does not modify Paul's fight. He doesn't say, I've, I've fought well, but he says, I fought the good fight. The fight itself is good. The Christian life, the, the fight that we enter into as believers, as fo- followers of Christ, is itself good. Listen, friends, there are all kinds of fights that we can en- enter into. There's all kinds of fights we can engage in today, isn't there? We can, we can go around and we can be that argumentative, uh, that combative personality that is just looking to get into a fight. And any battle that arises, any opportunity we get and we just jump right in it. There's a lot of vain and meaningless and futile, frustrating fights that you can enter into. But that is not the Christian life. The fight of the Christian life is good it's good, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, the noble fight that Christ set before me. The second thing he says is he says, not only have I fought the good fight, but I have finished the race. I've finished the race. Paul Paul referred to the Christian life as a race in multiple places. He, he referred to it in Acts twenty twenty four. this course set before him. He said, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Isn't that, isn't that a great thing to read this morning? Paul in Acts 20 says, Listen, I don't count my life of any value. I just want to finish the course. I just want to finish well. And then here we come to 2 Timothy 4, the end of his life, and Paul says, Timothy, I ran the race. I, I finished. I finished the race before me. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. Knowing that, that I'm, I'm running for an imperishable crown, an imperishable wreath, I'm not going to run aimlessly. I'm going to run as though running for the prize. Paul understood the race set before him. The writer of Hebrews that, that Daniel read earlier compared the Christian life to a race as well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Christian, God has set a particular course, a race in front of us that course is going to hold all sorts of twists and turns. It'll hold all sorts of surprises and challenges, hills and ascension and dissension and all, all, sorts of, all sorts of twists and turns. That race is marked out before us and when we committed to following Christ, the gun went off and we went and started running. Believer, you need to know that in the race of the Christian, Life, just like those marathons I ran. There are moments in which you think you just can't go on. There are moments in which it is hard to complete. There are moments where you're tempted to give up. You're tempted to just hang it up. Keep running. Keep running after Christ. In those moments, don't take your gaze off the finish line. Don't take your gaze off of that imperishable wreath that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 9. Don't take your gaze off the crown of righteousness that he will give you on that day that he talks about here in our passage today. Set your mind on things above and keep running. Keep running. The race set before us is different for each one of us. The finish line's the same. Let's run well the race set before us. The third statement he says is, he says, I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Now, the, the definite article there is important when he says, I've kept the faith. Paul's speaking of the faith as the objective Christian faith. Those of you who are taking notes, you might just note down and, and read later, but Acts 6-7, Acts 13 14 Galatians one Galatians six ten. All of these passages use the faith and that terminology to refer to the core teachings of biblical Christianity. It's the the beliefs that are passed on by the saints which Paul had been entrusted with. It's the same beliefs that have been passed on by the saints to us that we have been entrusted with. We've been entrusted with the biblical gospel, with the truths of Scripture, Grace Baptist Church. It's been given to us. It's been handed down to us from saints of the past. We must hold fast to it. We must keep the faith. We must not lose the faith. We must be careful not to change the faith. We must not forget the faith. And brothers and sisters, we must not change the faith. Add to the faith. No. We need to, as individual believers, as a church body, strive, as Paul did, to keep the faith, to maintain it, to hold on to it. Jude wrote the same thing. In Jude 3, he said, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Contend for it. Contend for it. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Again, you hear Jude and you read the rest of his book and you understand this is not something easy. It's something we must battle for. It's something we contend for. 2 Timothy 1.14, when he begins his letter to Timothy, he begins those final words, that final letter. Paul instructs Timothy. He says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It has been given to you. It's been entrusted to you. Guard it. Guard it. Contend for it. Keep it. Listen, this is why Theology is important. It's why it's important for us to come in and we actually read and study the Word and walk through the Scriptures. We can come in and we can give you all great lessons and, and, and speeches and motivational talks and leave you just feeling good and with five principles to help you do this and six principles to help you do that and then you get over-principled out and you don't even know where you're sitting. We have to teach and preach, and cling to right theology. Theology is important. Why? Because you cannot keep, contend for, or guard what you don't know. How are we going to contend for something we know nothing about? How are we going to guard something if we're like, what is it? I don't know what it is. It's just a feeling. It's just going and singing songs I like. It's just going and, and, and having a good time. You can guard that at the theater. You can contend for that on YouTube. Let's keep the faith. Let's contend for right theology. Let's contend for biblical truth. Let's guard the biblical truth, the gospel. Let's guard that. William Borden was a, a missionary. He was um, an heir to the, the borden Dairy dynasty. Evidently, as a, as a young man, he, everything was in his corner. He had millions at his disposal already. Inheritance would be his. He went on a cruise around the world. And when he went on this cruise, he he was burdened in the midst of the cruise that that the Lord was calling him to missions. So he came back and he he told his parents, he said, I'm I'm going to the mission field. He, He commenced a training. I think if I remember right, it was seven years of training that he entered into. He was going to China. He gave everything up. Family, friends tried to talk him out of it. He gave it all away. He said, I'm going to the mission field. In the back of his Bible were written three statements. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. William Borden died on the ship on the way to China. Never made it there. Never made it. But the words in the back of his Bible rung true. Because he knew whom he had trusted. And he was running the race that God has set before him. William Borden's race looked a little different than Paul's. But yet, Borden's statements ring true with Paul's statements. Borden said, no reserve, no retreat, no regret. I'll never forget that story because on December the 15th of 2001, the dean of the School of Theology stood before us before graduation And he read, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Live your lives and carry out your ministry with no reserve, no retreat, and no regret. Persevere. Press on in the faith. Run hard as Paul ran. Pursue the gospel. Preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Advance the gospel. Persevere in the race that God has set before you. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. Paul and Borden both ran different races, but they shared a similar testimony. They had persevered to the end. And whatever that end looked like, they persevered. Now, this is something we need to just stop for a moment and consider. It's an important truth, important, important doctrine the perseverance of the saints. What does that mean, that we would hold to the perseverance of the saints? Uh, if you want a definition, you might just define it this way, that all true believers in Jesus Christ are preserved by God's power and will persevere in faith until the end. So all true believers in Jesus Christ are preserved by God's power and will persevere in faith until the end. Let me read a couple passages for you there. Hebrews 3:14 says for if we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our or we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The true believer will persevere. Well, how can we be certain of that? We certainly will lean on the, the words of Paul in Philippians 1.6, where Paul writes, and he, he writes of the partnership of the Philippian church and the gospel and their, their partnership in ministry, and he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will do it. We can be confident in that. There's not a lot of things that we can be confident in. I can't even be confident in myself at times. But I can be confident in God that he will bring to completion that which he began in my life. John Flavel said this. He said, did Christ finish his work for us? How would we answer that question? Did Christ finish his work for us? The work that he did on the cross? Did he finish it? Is he still working on that? No, it's finished. It's finished. So Flavel said, did did Christ finish his work for us? Then there can be no doubt, but he will also finish his work in us. Right? There's no doubt in that. We can cling to that. We can hold on to that. We can be confident in that. But here's what we have to understand. When we think about perseverance, we think about this call to persevere and run well the race put out before us, put before us by God, is that we persevere because God preserves us. We persevere because God preserves us. It's God's work of grace in us and his promise to complete that work that enables us and strengthens us to persevere to the end. A couple of the passages you may want to th- think about there. Second Timothy, if you just flip back to Second Timothy 1.12, Paul is testifying of his confidence in the gospel, the fact that he's in chains, and he says to Timothy, he says, listen, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the fact that I'm in chains. And, and in verse 12, he says this, I'm not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced, what are you convinced of, Paul? That He is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. Paul doesn't say, listen, don't be ashamed of me because I know that I'm going to hold on. I know. I'm going I'm to get ready. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm ready. I'm hunkering down. I'm going to do it. It's me. Paul says, I'm convinced that he is able to guard it. He preserves. We don't have time to read it today, but you can write down Ephesians 1 3 to 14. You have any question about the the fact that God is powerful, that God has a plan, that he preserves you, that God saves you to an end? There's nothing, when you read Ephesians 1 3 to 14, there's nothing in there that would make you think, well, uh, God saves us and just kind of hopes that we may make it. No. When we read Ephesians 1, 13 to 4, or 3 to 14, what we see is the confidence that God, he saves what he saves us to, he carries to completion. Or you can look at 1 Peter 1. We'll jump there in a few minutes, but 1 Peter 1, particularly in verse 5, We read there, you know, Peter celebrating, again, this great passage, celebrating the salvation that's ours in Christ. He says that we have been saved to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God, in His power, is guarding us and preserving us. Here's a couple descriptions, a couple statements, maybe continue to clarify this understanding that we persevere in God's preservation. Herman Babnick said that the preservation of believers is applied and worked out in such a way in believers that they themselves also persevere in grace, which is given them of God. So the preservation of believers is applied and worked out in such a way that we persevere. We persevere. J.I. Packer describes it this way. He says, perseverance is the, the assertion that, that believers persevere in faith and obedience despite everything. It's true, but the reason is that Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, persists in preserving them. It's a great work of God. Listen, in, in sanctification, in perseverance, we are not left alone. Salvation is a, a work of... God alone. We don't contribute to the work. It's been stated that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that required it. Sanctification, our growth in Christ, is something where God calls us to pursue holiness. Right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that we are called to pursue holiness. But it is God who is at work in you, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says. In perseverance, we're called to persevere. We're called to hold fast. We're called to run after. We're called to make it to the end. To hold fast to the end. Knowing that it is God in His power that enables us and strengthens us to do it. My confidence in persevering to the end lies not in my ability and my strength but in the God I serve. And His power to guard and preserve what has been given to me. God enables and strengthens us to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. Now, what does this mean practically for us? What does this mean just practically? It means that as we persevere in our faith, we do not persevere out of fear that we may lose our salvation. No, we persevere by faith in Jesus who told us that He will never lose those whom the Father has given Him. So I don't persevere constantly afraid of what I might lose. But I persevere and I run hard after Christ, confident in Christ. Because why? Because He said that I will lose none. None that the Father has given me. None. John 6, 37 to 40 is your reference there if you want to read more about his statement on that. What I would say to you is this, is that the longer I follow Jesus, the more clear it becomes to me that my perseverance is not based on my own work and ability, but on God's grace. Because just to be really honest with you, when I look, out, look back, I see so many times of failure and rebellion, times in which I didn't want to press on, times in which I wanted to quit. Maybe I think of it like this, that, that race in Louisville, I told you that my hamstrings locked up and I just Stopped. And in that moment, this guy that I had passed a while back ran by and said, come on, brother, you got 5K left, let's go. And I was like, doggone it, I just passed him. (laughs) And I started running. It's God's work of grace in our lives. The last thing we see is in verse 8, the crown of righteousness that awaits So we saw that death is merely departure. We saw the call to persevere in the faith, to persevere in the race. No matter what that race looks like, how long it is, we persevere to the end. And in verse 8, we see the crown of righteousness that awaits. What was Paul's gaze set upon him? Was it set upon the the trial that was before him? Was it set upon the world that was around him? No. No. It was set upon the crown of righteousness that awaited him in glory. He knew that this crown of righteousness awaited him, and it would be given to him from his king. He has this confident faith. Look what it says. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. The crown of righteousness which he will award to me on that day. Paul knew. Paul wasn't going, man, I hope it happens. I hope. He knows. Listen, the the trials of life will threaten to undo us. They will threaten to make us quit. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you're in that spot where it's like, you know what, I, I'm here. I'm barely holding on. The, the faith that I say I proclaim, the faith I say I hold on to, the faith I talk about in Sunday school, the faith that, that, that I have held fast for so many years, I'm, I'm barely holding on. I'm barely holding on. Nobody around me knows it. I don't know if I can do it anymore. Paul knew. Paul knew. Paul knew. I mean, consider Paul. He has suffered firsthand, immensely, for the cause of Christ. He knew what that was like. But what we have to understand is that the fires of life are where faith is forged and perseverance is proven. That's where it happens. James wrote this in James 1.12. He said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is he. The trials of life threaten to undo us, and James says, hold fast, brothers. Hold fast. Keep running. Keep trusting Christ. The trials of life will will come at us, and traversing these trials will greatly depend on where our gaze is fixed Paul called us to set our minds above. James said the same thing, to to remain steadfast, looking forward to the crown of life. And Peter said the same thing. Peter writes his letter and he he writes to a a body of believers who are experiencing great trials. And he rejoices in that salvation. But he says in verse 6 of 1 Peter 1, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining what? The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter began that whole passage with what? You have an inheritance that is unfading, undefiled, and imperishable, and you are being guarded by the very power of the almighty, omnipotent, sovereign creator of all things. Now persevere. Press on. Don't give up. I I referenced this sermon last week. Jonathan Edwards' sermon, A Heaven, A World of Love, talks about this this idea of perseverance and, and passing through the difficulties of life. I want you to hear what he writes he says be content to pass through all difficulties in the way of heaven or the way to heaven though the path is before you and you may walk in it if you desire yet it is a way that is ascending and filled with many difficulties and obstacles the glorious city of light and love is as it were on the top of a high hill or mountain and there's no way to it but by upward and arduous steps But though the ascent be difficult and the wave be full of trials, still it is worth your while to meet them all for the sake of coming and dwelling in such a glorious city at last. It's worth it. It's worth it. You think of Pilgrim's progress and Christian's journey towards the celestial city and the trials he encounters and the the difficulty of persevering through that. I mean, consider Paul's own gaze. Consider Paul's own testimony we see in Scripture. We, we heard it from 1 Corinthians 9 where he talks about that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. And knowing that, he, he says we are going to receive an imperishable wreath, an imperishable reward, and he says, I do not run aimlessly. I don't run aimlessly, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Paul's looking forward to the end and form the way he lived today. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul said, he was talking about the trials and everything he encountered. He said, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Why don't you lose heart, Paul? Why don't you turn in this moment and say, you know what, I'm I'm just, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm just going to stop. Well, the reason, he says, that, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're passing, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul, Paul, in all that he's going through, all that he encounters, he says, listen, this light momentary affliction is preparing me for the eternal way to glory that is mine in Christ. Or what about Philippians when he writes in Philippians? And he talks about looking ahead. He says, I press on. I know I haven't obtained what I need to obtain. I press on to make it known. What does he press on? How how does he do that? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul presses on because he's focused on Christ, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on, brothers and sisters. Press on. Persevere in Christ, in the race that you're called to run. I just want to remind you of one final thing. I don't want you to leave here missing the promise in eight. Look what he says. He says, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He could have ended right there, but he didn't. What does he say? And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That crown of righteousness is not just something for Paul. He says it awaits all who long and love his appearing. This was reminded this week, and I read that in Revelations 22, the end of the canon, the end of Scripture. Where the saints, the bride of Christ, say, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. At the very end, the plea of the saint is come, Lord Jesus. Come. Listen. God preserves us in the faith. And we are called to run with perseverance in the faith. It was reminded to me... I think Matt made this remark several months ago and we were thinking about this series. He said, you know, the interesting thing about a race is that in the end, runners are more motivated than ever. Have you ever gone to a race? You go to, whether it's a marathon or a 5K, whatever it is, when you get to the end, I mean, people struggled the whole way. And man, when you see the finish line, There's just this kind of burst of any remaining adrenaline you have and you run as hard as your body can carry you. We finish. Christian, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you are the one that's just barely holding on by a thread and you don't know. You're ready to drop. Look to the finish line and run hard. Run hard. Finish well. Maybe you're one who you have less days remaining than the days numbered in your memory. Don't let up. Don't let up. Your physical body may be failing you. It may be all you can do to walk in this building today. It may be all you can do to sit up and watch from home on a live stream. Don't let up. Keep going before the throne of God and keep interceding on behalf of the saints. Keep praying. Keep writing cards of encouragement. Keep coming and encouraging young families who are raising children who have days and years ahead of them. Keep pressing on. Keep going and showing up and going on mission trips into your 80s. Keep teaching the children. Keep teaching youth. Keep spurring them on. Keep discipling them. Keep speaking hard truths into young men and young women's lives. Keep speaking hard truths into young marriages. Keep speaking hopeful truths into people who are struggling. Keep spurring us on. Don't let up. Don't let up. Finish well the race before you. Whether that race is a lifelong ministry like Paul, or whether that race is seven short years that ends much quicker than you thought it would end. Persevere to the end that God has set before you. The final question I would ask of this gathering today is this. Are you in the race? Are you in the race? I watched a lot of races. It's a lot different and lacing up your shoes and running the race. Watching Christians, listening to Christians, singing Christian songs, sitting through Christian lessons, that's watching the race. Following Christ is running the race. Are you in the race? Are you following Christ? Let's pray. God, we we bow, and God, those of us who are believers, thank you for the race you have set before us. And God, we thank you that our hope is not in our own ability, our own strength, our own endurance, because God, we confess that we are weak and we are frail. God, we are wishy-washy at times. And so, God, we rest and we find strength to endure and to press on in your preserving grace, in your kindness and goodness, and the strengthening that you grant us. And we thank you for that, and we rejoice in that today. And, God, I pray for friends who are here, God, who are not believers. They are not following you. They're not in the race. They're watching, and they may even be cheering. God, they're not in the race. God, would you do a great work in their life today that they would turn from their sins and trust you in faith? God, please, please do a great work of salvation in their lives. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.